Chapter 13, Part 2 The Story Synopsis It's the sixth grade, and Toto finds a golden opportunity to circumvent Little League Baseball, a league that he finds himself too good for. But his talent alone will not be enough to cast his baseball career to the next level. Under some unique circumstances, Toto will command control of that championship outcome, or more importantly, how good he looks in the big game because a top-notch performance just might be enough to win high evaluations from the spectators in the stands that matter most, the scouts. But he did not realize this would be the final time he played baseball, nor did he understand why. It's not my fault I can't hit a baseball no more. By Bradley Oliger. Chapter 1 Let me tell you something about myself. Now, ordinarily... One can only blame themselves for how things come to be. Yet, not always. Not always. Some things are beyond our control, and we deal with them as best we know how. I can't blame myself that I no longer have enough fingers and toes to count out my age and years. I can't blame myself that if I rode my bike through a foreign person's front yard who doesn't speak English, I wouldn't understand what they actually mean. I can't blame myself for the coincidence of answering the phone at home at 1.30 in the morning to a telemarketer while carrying a whistle in my palm. I can't blame myself for the fact that if anybody drinks from the same glass or bottle or soda can that I've already drunk from, that they'll assuredly acquire a bad case of gastrointestinal worms for at least a week. I can't blame myself that if I'm on a date with a girl and she's a complete airhead and she's flirting with every guy she sees, then I'm going to come up with a bunch of BS to tell her while saying the most disgusting things to help end the date and put me out of my misery? I can't blame myself that I have the reoccurring dream that I'm standing in this field of grass enjoying life and suddenly the clouds in the sky darken and darken and darken and everything gets windy and from the grass there is the feeling there is a mustached man behind me with a knife ready to plunge it secretly into me and no matter how many times I turn around... There is this mustached man, but he has no knife. I can't blame myself that if I write a letter to a friend and he doesn't respond, that I'll escalate until a sufficient response is rendered or retaliate by dedicating Christmas to him and put a picture of his face on the Christmas star. And lastly, I can't blame myself for the fact that I can no longer hit a baseball. I'd mention a lot more things I can't blame myself for, but it's already getting too poponadoxical. Whose fault would that be? Everybody else's but mine. I'll explain why. First, I'll start with my old baseball abilities in the sixth grade summer days. My skills developed so well that the singles that I hit turned into the best three-bounce dribbles between the shortstop and the third baseman you have ever seen. Anything more than singles rarely occurred for me. Pitchers breathed sighs of relief when they struck me out because they knew that if I hit the ball, there might be a high chance of me getting to the first base. That's damn good. And it got me to the point where I would oftentimes check the stands to watch if scouts looked to scoop me out of the unsophistication of the Little League and bump me up to the big times. I don't really know how I got to be so good, for I can only speculate upon such a complicated blessing. I never practiced on my own or showed up to team practice, but I do know how soon after that I was not very good anymore. 
for that is equally sophisticated. Yet, it all occurred under a span of just one day. One day. I'll explain. My day started at two in the morning, when I had received a phone call. For sure, it would be Bob, the scout from the farm team for the Cubs, and so I would answer it with glee. Although, in the dream I had just moments before, the continuance of it would charge me to say, Hello, I hate you. I knew it was Bob the Scout, so that would not have been too cordial. The brief pause let me recover some decency. Hello, this is Toto, the best player on my team. I, I hit singles. It was true. I hit singles. What incredible news do you have for me? Hi, my name is Deborah Klub from ACT Advertising Services. Have you ever had an event that was of such magnitude that you feel over your head? That your promotion might not be good enough, given your limited experience promoting? Does that fit you? I was perturbed that I had not answered, saying, Hello, I hate you. I put the phone back to my face. Maybe. Aren't flyers good enough? I mumbled dispassionately. Flyers? She paused for a moment. Well, we haven't had much luck with flyers, but we do have a can't-miss method for only nineteen ninety-five. We guarantee that, without hesitancy, I put the whistle in my hand to my mouth and blew as hard as I could into the receiving part of the phone. Of course, the other line remained silent for about ten seconds. There echoed a few sunken but barely audible grunts, and the line disconnected, more or less. I recognized that I needed sleep for the next day's big championship game, but once the thought about the magnitude of the game of baseball spiked that rush of adrenaline, the chances of sinking asleep had vanished. And so, for the next 32,400 seconds of my life, I laid on my bed and pondered about perhaps 6.1 billion different ways I could beat out the shortstop's throw to first base. Satisfied that even in my dreams did the tickling of possibly outrunning a line drive from an infielder's hand fill me with gratification. 3,600 seconds removed me from the time I needed to meet with the league's umpire. Why did I need to meet with the league's umpire? Because my coach had advised me that this was going to be the scout's big game. So, I have to make sure that my strike zone is smaller and that the tie always, always goes to the runner. In other words, I had to bribe this fellow. He understood my intentions. I understood my intentions. I knew that he knew that I knew what my intentions were. Nobody else needed to know. This is my big game. My ticket to sign with a keen agent and thrust out of this wretched Little League nonsense. 3,583 seconds on the countdown. What should I do? I'll think up some more ways to craft singles in this upcoming game. The time came way too soon as I arrived about 115 seconds late to our little shady appointment. Mr. Gormuck, or rather, umpire Gormuck, was a lengthy, lean veteran to baseball who stood, walked, and crawled with a hunch in his back, most likely from marrying his full-time jobs of being a logger and narrator with hunching over so far to call the balls and strikes for so many Little League games. His voice was firm and crisp, seeming to rise above simply judging the efficacy of a pitch, but rather narrating the entire at-bat experience like a color commentator. He was much like me, too talented for the Little League. 
Him and his hunch waited in the abandoned parking lot in plain clothes. No, not even plain clothes. He wore his umpire uniform. Hands in the pockets and no forms of disguise. This was unacceptable. Mr. Gilnong, why don't you have any disguise on? You realize how many people may recognize you here. I blurted, nearly spilling the rest of my fruit juice. I always drank fruit juice, 18,000 seconds before a big game. His undisguised face grimaced. Gilnong, young man, I'm Quentin Gormach, you know that. I peered around like a decapitated bobcat head rolling on train tracks. He announced his damn name, too. Mr. Gilnong, why don't you have a disguise? Why don't you have a disguise? He challenged. I could not answer that. It was a good question. He looked up to the tree line. The breeze is steady. The glimmers of sunlight barely peek to her shadows. So why do you want me here on this fine summer day anyway? I've got to take my back pills soon, you understand? To keep my hump under control. Been cutting trees all day, you see? He did not know why he was here. He didn't know why he was here. Who? Mr. Gilna. I need you to do a slight modification in your umbin style. His undisguised face stood pale and muddled for a moment. You mean, you want me to shrink my strike zone for your team and make sure that the tie always, always goes to the runner on your team? Not the team. For me. I slurped a generous drink of juice and swished it around in my mouth. He rubbed his unconcealed hand on his unfake bearded chin and beamed at me with eyes that were only visible because he wasn't wearing sunglasses that would so suitably cover his distinguishing features. How old are you, kid? I could not reply with the juice still thrashing in my mouth and held up all ten fingers. I was actually twelve, but not polydactyly, so it would have to do. Don't you care about all the scouts? he urged. Of course, but if you're generous, you know... The scouts might reward you too, Mr. Gilnung, sir. So, what do you have to bribe me then? He asked. He asked an odd question. I wavered about twenty-three seconds and finally spoke. Nothing? Nothing? He restated. Oh well, it's not that big of a deal because your pathetic coach bribed me already to make the strike zone a lot, lot smaller. He seemed like he wanted to make sure that the tie always always goes to the runner too, but he started crying and stuff and never came around to asking me. He seemed kind of sad, weird fellow. He told me I am too good to ump his game anyway and should probably move on. Regardless, I need to have some kind of monetary reward to make sure that the tie always, always goes to the runner. He extended his hand. But, Mr. Gilnong, I don't have anything. <laughs> I declared with an appalling laugh. Suddenly, like the fortune of a rabbit spotting the shadow of a swooping hawk before its doom and hiding for cover, Mr. Gormuck began to groan and twist and stiffen. My back, oh, my back. I feel jolts of pain striking through my spine like lightning in an open field. Please, my pills, give me my pills. Aha, bargaining pills. Only if you make sure that the tie always, always goes to the runner. He shook his head no. Tough bargainer he was, but he worsened. 
He bellowed for my fruit punch. My back! Oh, let me uh, have the rest uh, of that punch uh, to wash down uh, my pill. Uh, and it's a, 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 a deal. Good enough for me, I muttered to myself. I reached into his backside pocket, locating a bottle of pills, and popped the cap. He hurled them down his throat and brutishly chugged the fruit punch from my bottle. What a fortunate turn of events. He was bought and paid for. He slowly regained a crooked posture in fine gormuck form and shuffled away. Hey, Toto, cried a mushy man from behind. Come here, kid. I inferred that he was talking to me because my name is Toto. I escorted my bike up to him, spooked by the fact that he was standing at the boundary of the deserted parking lot. He posted in front of a diesel truck, and I somehow did not hear him drive up. How did you know my name was Toto, and how'd you find me here? I work for the library. I can find anybody, anywhere. Now, kid, I need you to do a favor for me, huh? He declared, his voice mushed like his looks, mushy and stiff. I swayed my head, considering I had no alternative. He reached into his pocket. I froze. Right here in daylight, he was gonna hand me a pair of sunglasses. Sunglasses? I need you to wear these sunglasses at your game tonight. I tried them on. They were mirrored sunglasses, the eye spy glasses where you can see objects from behind. I was flattered that he would grant them to me, whoever he was, but why? He dug into his pocket again, startling me less this time, and drew out a wiffle ball. This guy got a little more and more poponodoxical by the moment. And one more thing, too. I need you to... He stretched into the cab of his truck and revealed a bat. A wiffle ball bat. See if you can hit my wiffle ball curve. He finished while passing the bat to me. What? I pleaded, still reluctant to agitate his mushiness. There's money in it for you too, kid, he added. He handed me $25 and paraded behind his truck. All you've got to do is take one swing and hit my wiffle ball curve and wear those glasses to the game. The entire game, you hear? If you take them glasses off at any time in today's game, I'll bust you hard for taking them off. Understand? For twenty-five bucks, I heard all right. But I became unsettled. This encounter was getting weirder and weirder. Why? He twiddled the wiffle ball with his fingers, studying that for a moment, and peeked back at me, shifting only his eyes. I don't have time to explain why. Now, you ready? For, for what? Unexpectedly, he coiled up and tossed the ball with a winding spring of his arm. The curve twisted mildly, especially for a wiffle ball, but the bat was so light and I swung nearly two seconds before the ball came within range. The ball whizzed past me and skidded on the pavement behind. I hate wiffle ball. The bat is too light, and it always ruins the timing of my swing for baseball. Yet, he had a smirk on his face for some odd reason. He piled into his hog of a truck and sped away with nothing left but the squealing of tires and the waning words, Take him off, and I'll kill you, kid! How odd. Odd. 
That's a funny word. Odd. I was in a favorable mood again, so I rode my way towards home, 25 bucks richer. Nearly a few blocks down Stiff Avenue and a few short of my condo, I cut down a side street to take a more scenic route home. Nothing was odd about the route. I simply no longer yearned to swerve away from cars that sought to hit me, and instantaneously I discovered a mustached man out in his yard pouring something onto his flower bed. I was inquisitive about what he was doing, so I kind of meandered onto and through his grass and over the sprinklers that he had set up. He did not take the kindliest expression from my off-road riding and yelled some stuff at me. I could not decipher what, but it certainly wasn't English. And so, I cruised on. Actually, I twisted around and rode through the yard again. I don't know why, but I just did. This really made the man say a good deal of stuff I couldn't understand, and I was tempted to ask him. But that was about the time I understood, kill him, and a towering dog emerged from within his flower bed to chase me. I revved a few chunky power pedals out from the edge of the man's lot to the concrete street and booked as if driven away by a dog. Of course, my stupid chain popped from the sprocket, and of course, the dog caught up to me, and of course, he vaulted on me savagely. As merciless as he was, he only rendered a massive bite on my left hand, followed by whimpering. He retired to his owner. I said, Ouch! My hand stung, and it bled severely. Chapter 2 7200 seconds afterward. Game time. Indeed, it was moments before game time. The other team held batting and fielding practice. As for me, I tried to readjust to a regular aluminum bat. Wiffleball bats always, always ruin my swing because they are so light. Other than me with a bandaged left hand, barely able to squeeze a sturdy grip, and wearing sunglasses, I guess the only significance is that the sky was clear. Hey, Toto, want something to drink? The game's being sponsored and they're offering free refreshments, asked Coach Doth. He was the only member of our team that liked me, and I understood why others didn't. Jealousy. Coach was not exactly but ugly, but everybody always called him Coach Death due to his morbidly pale complexion. I do not think he minded the nickname, though. His charisma was no less pale, and while the label did not fully fit, it centered within earshot of being accurate. He seemed to live his life like one long, drawn-out breakup with a longtime childhood sweetheart, and every bit of adversity in front of him sounded like that single song that fully embodied that relationship with said ex-girlfriend. That song they first held hands to, that song they first embraced each other, the sadness dipped to the point that he wept every time somebody struck out or made an error in the game. Tears and all. Baseball tragedies really tormented his heart, but I assume he embraced more or less one of those, if you mess up, I'll find some other player who respects me and won't just treat me like a piece of meat kind of coaches. His own methodology to rile up the team to try harder. Perhaps it was because he realized after a few years of coaching that rounding the squad up in a group huddle with the hands all in the middle saying, let's go team, doesn't ever, ever work. Regardless, he was always, always crying. Sure, I responded, realizing that I have not had anything to drink since Mr. Gormuk drank my juice in our private meeting. 
He handed me a substantial helping. I took a horse of a swallow and nearly threw up. Whoa, what is this? I cried. It tasted like milk. It's milk, moaned Coach Doth. Leroy's milk is sponsoring the league. I guess Leroy's son plays for the other team, uh, number 34. Number 34? I searched out to the field, finally spotting the pitcher. Leroy Nix Jr., number 34, and about 15,000 times bigger than all the other kids on the team, with a full-grown beard. And if that was not enough for his competitive superiority, he always, always had the nicest gear. New cleats, new mitt, new bat, expensive shades. We presume being spoiled is one of the benefits of being the only son of a milk tycoon. I knew practically their entire team, mindful that the prematurely hormoned boy was a damn fine pitcher. 95-mile-per-hour fastball spiraling at my head would expose weakness, and I needed to make certain I showed out well. I had a plan. I figured you wouldn't want to drink milk before the game, whispered Coach Doth sorely. Nobody does. It wouldn't be so bad if I wasn't allergic to milk, but I don't think I swallowed any of it, I replied, not surrendering my view of Leroy Jr. I'll drink the rest of that then. Oh, and Spud's Chicken Sales is also sponsoring the game, too. They gave us a, a bucket of fr fried chicken, but nobody wants to eat it, and greasy chicken brings up memories I'd rather not think about at the moment. Everything does that, doesn't it? I asked. He sank his head with a slight nod. Yeah. He barely whispered and looked as if he would cry, but refrained, thankfully. I seized the bucket of chicken from his palms and scooped out a breast, it slithered out of my control. It was so greasy. I worked to pick it up, but it squirmed like picking up a bar of soap in the bathtub, and the grease wouldn't come off from my hands. Oh, no. This is too greasy, coach. Again, he humbly lowered with a listless nod. You deserve better than me. I'll go check if anybody from the other team wants this stuff. I sauntered out onto the field towards Leroy Nix Jr., holding out the cup of milk in my ungreased hand. Hey, Leroy, Leroy, man, this is good milk. Your dad really knows how to squeeze a cow's teat. He nodded a bit as if to say, get out of my face, punk. But I rambled on. Have you tried this milk? It's almost as thick as a cappuccino. Coach says he heard that your dad has engineered this new stuff that's better than ever. Makes you strong as heck, and I heard you haven't had any of it, so I figured I'd give the last of it to you because he's your dad and all. He seemed vexed and ripped the milk from my grip. Oh yeah? I ain't heard that. He sucked down the glass, first happy, then disappointed, and finally passed me the glass. He made like he would punch me. This is standard 2%. What are you getting at, Toto? I did not answer. Instead, I presented the chicken and asked if anybody on the team wanted the rest of it. He declined, but number 10, the second baseman, came over and tested some. He had trouble holding it with his throwing hand because it was so nastily greasy, but eventually nested it in his glove and devoured the meal from there. This is some good stuff, declared the second baseman. His face looked like he recently bobbed for apples in a barrel of polyurethane. 
After he had all he could ingest, he rested the bucket of chicken next to the pitcher's mound and resumed fielding practice. The stands crammed with masses of frenzied fans. The mystery man that obliged me to wear these sunglasses was not here. But that means nothing, because he could have been disguised, unlike umpire Gormick. And speaking of the undisguised devil, I haven't yet seen him here. I panned some more. Ah, there he was, right where he was supposed to be with all his equipment and mask on. He did not have the hunch as usual. Everybody played regular baseball, although I did not have a clue about all those positional shenanigans. Coach always had me, D.H., whatever that meant, and when they signaled me to bat, I batted. Yet, I observed, and as projected, the brutal pitcher abruptly fell sick to his stomach. He hunkered off from the mound as old Leroy himself, Junior's dad, ushered him to the sideline. Leroy tried offering his son some milk, but Junior nearly lost the rest of his lunch at the sight. Sorry, Leroy, I thought to myself, but they'll be gone in a week. Worms, I meant. I gave him gastrointestinal worms from drinking from my cup. I don't understand why, but it always, always happens. I do not have worms myself, but everybody else gets worms from drinking from anything that I have drunk from already. It's pretty cool if you are cognizant of the benefits and all. Yet, I got a little sick myself and feared if I accidentally ingested some myself. I get a bad allergic reaction if I drink dairy. I see some pretty weird stuff, hallucinations. Number 10, the second baseman, was drafted by the coach to take the pitcher's spot. And what a relief, literally and figuratively. I'd faced him before, and I'd have no problem trying to hit singles off of this guy. He offered that ball right down the strike zone like an opponent's day gift at a speed just one notch up from softball. And when I showed up to bat, I poised with assurance. For the strike zone would be smaller, and the tie will always go to the runner in a close call at first base for me. Always. I made sure of it. I presented a glance to the bribed ump behind me through the mirrored part of my sunglasses. But a problem emerged. It didn't look like umpire Gormok. No, it wasn't umpire Gormok, unless he's actually disguised, finally. Hey, ump, I said, finally looking backward. How's that back doing? You know what I mean. No response, but the reluctant umpire peeled off his mask and stared at me heatedly, then glanced at my bandage and smiled evilly. He produced a smooth, satisfied groan. It was the mustached foreigner. Where's Gormok? I pleaded to know, treading out of the batter's box. Coach, where's Gormok? He bobbed his pale head and parted his lips for speech. Umpire's sick, he groaned. He'll be out for a week or something. He's contracted terrible worms. Now, come on and do it for the scouts, or I'll burn all the pictures of us together. I swear I will. Gormuk's sick? Oh, no. That extra pill must have driven him sick. Plus the worms. I knew it was wrong to do. It was all my fault I don't have so much of a small strike zone anymore. And what about the ties at first base? They would now be unpredictable. This could unravel everything I'd worked so hard for. 
The umpire yelled something to me I did not recognize and brandished his index finger towards the plate, all the while alternating stares towards my wound and smirking with teeth so discolored as if he had a ten-round championship bout with little Debbie. I tried rehearsing a few practice swings, but the bat moved so heavy compared to a wiffle ball bat, and my hand throbbed. The greasy other palm could barely hold on to the leathery grip. The initial pitch came with a horrible curve that seemed to start from the third baseline and end up by the first baseline. The ball passed the catcher to the right and skidded all the way to the backstop. I peered back at the umpire after he howled, Baba! He trophied his thumb in the air. What's going on? I asked Coach. He called a strike, Toto, he replied. Thumbs up means strike and thumbs down means ball. This is a baseball game, not a damn movie review. I cried out, but realized trying to squawk at the ump for calling a strike on that last pitch would be fruitless. I could not surrender my calm, not in front of the scouts. The next pitch had a curve even greedier than before that sailed over the backstop. Baba! Thumbs up number two. The count progressed to zero. Thumbs down. And two thumbs up. I was in the hole. This number 10 fellow threw rainbows the last game I opposed him. Presently, he threw harsher curves than the ones thrown on old Nintendo baseball games, and the sneer on his face told me he loved it. This time, I would swing regardless. The pitcher threw me a fresh grin and dropped his right hand into that nasty bucket of fried chicken. He was up to something. Baba. Thumbs up three came and went with me accidentally throwing my bat after the swing, my hands were too slick. I looked hideous. I trudged over to the sidelines and, as expected, Coach Doth started firing my gear out in front of the dugout as if he had caught me cheating on him. He latched the gate, barring my entrance to our section. Coach, come on, man, I begged through the chain-link fence. I caught you striking out again. Three strikes and you're out, Toto. We're through. He shrieked with tears flowing. Did you see those curves? Come on, let me inside. I'll make it up to you, I promise. I won't strike out again, I promise. His assistants promptly calmed him enough to open the gate. I hastily retrieved my belongings and eyeballed him as I walked past to my spot on the bench. My next at bat had no better results. Three straight baba thumb-ups on killer curveballs and I sulked back to the sidelines with Coach having another meltdown. He began burning our team pictures and a group photo of him and I getting ice cream after one of our games from the season before. I never enjoyed coaching you guys anyway, he snarled under his breath. I've been coaching another team for two seasons, and now you know. At least those players appreciate me. What's going on? What's with that pitcher throwing curveballs like that? This is the Little League, I queried the assistant coach. I don't honestly know, but I think he's using that grease from the chicken as a sort of spitterball supplement, he countered. He's really for our benefit because that curve of his, he can't seem to get it across the plate, added the assistant coach, who stepped up to a lead role during Coach Death's recurring breakup moments. Yeah, but... The ump keeps calling thumbs-ups. Death looked at me with welled-up eyes. 
is only calling them on you. Everybody else is getting called fairly and landing on base with four thumb downs. It's really paponadoxical that he's only calling thumbs up on you. What does paponadoxical mean, coach? You always say that and got me saying it too, I ordered, deciding to shift my focus. He bobbed his head like a standing corpse with some invisible person behind, shaking him. I don't really know for sure. I read it in this story and became confused, so I looked it up in the dictionary and it wasn't there. So I imagine that it means whatever applies to the situation, such as whatchamacallit. That sort of made me mad, too. Why say it if it doesn't mean anything? It made me furious that somebody would say something that isn't a word or anything. Our forefathers sacrificed many things to bring us grammatically correct English words. It need not be an actual word as long as it means something. I turned sour as my teammate Tommy stepped up to the plate. Come on, Tommy. Do it for the scouts, yelled Coach Doth. What's he yelling to Tommy about the scouts for? Hey, Coach. How's come you're yelling at Tommy about doing it for the scouts? He conducted his introductory corpse shake again. Look, I'm saying what I have to say, and why can't I? And maybe we're just not compatible. That involved a lot of shaking just to express that. I thought the scouts came here to evaluate me. For you? Whoa? Whoa? What does woe mean? It must be like... Poponodoxical. We're the scouts, Toto. We're the polluted water elementary scouts. Scouts is your school's mascot. I always yell that for encouragement to everybody so I don't have to, you know. Polluted water scouts? Scouts? There are no scouts here? Us, he answered. Us? All this time? All this lousy, stinking time, I thought we had scouts here? And it was only my stupid teammates from polluted water? What kind of crap is that? Scouts? We're no scouts. Everybody on our team sucks. I recognized that the game had stopped, and everybody, everybody was watching Coach Doth and me. I started getting more nauseated suddenly. You lied to me, Coach. You manipulated me, you punk. I lightly gripped his shoulder, but he started wiggling and contorting as if he was a rubber band that revolved a million times, followed by a sudden release. He cried hard, really hard. I started pounding my hat on his back repeatedly and heaved it, the hat, not the coach, to my left towards the crowd. Suddenly, all my teammates along with the crowd began screaming at me and booing. You beat up your poor coach! What a jerk. The poor coach is crying. Don't be poponodoxical. If that's not Gorbachev, then why is it called Mount Russian? Kill him. And much more. I was feeling terrible and could hardly see straight. I think I'd actually swallowed a little of that milk. My nerves reacted to the lactose. While squatting down for a lengthy time, I noticed that I was not wearing my hat. So I raced back to the stands fending off all sorts of flying objects from the heated mob. I recovered my cap and retreated out of throwing range, discovering somebody had written a phrase on the underside of my bill. 
expecting to receive a message like, meet me in a parking lot, jerk, or worse. A friendly message surprised my eyes. You're a cute babe. Call me, 498-2212. I glanced to the stands, hoping to find a gorgeous girl, but I only found old, irate mothers and my boy, ungirl teammates. Were old, irate mothers flirting with me? There was only one way to find out. I stepped over to death, apologized, and requested to use his cell phone. He stared at me quizzically, as if I contemplated quitting to go play for another team, with a better roster, and for a coach who was actually doing something with his life. He examined the note in my hand, and his eyes widened up, allowing for more tear outflow. Who is that? Is it that loser coach who was always, always following you? What's his name? Coach Wonkle with the flathead elementary slappers? He flipped over the phone to me. Well, go ahead. See if I care. I punched in the old numbers. 4982212. It only required a single ring to get an answer. Hello, this is Darlene Klug from ACT Advertising Services. I'm Deborah's sister, and here's the promotion for you, you jerk. Shockingly, it followed with the most eardrum-rupturing whistle I've ever heard. Oh my gosh! I believe I wailed. I couldn't even hear myself. Only the incessant screeching and ringing inside of my ears and brain. Abruptly, Coach Doth tugged at my jersey, mouthing something, and pointed to the home plate. It was my turn to bat again. My ears, my fist, my eyes, and my stomach all hurt. That milk and the throb in my ears screwed with my brain. I tried standing still at the batter's box, but all became strange. The sky I could see through my sunglasses got blacker and bleaker. It seemed familiar, and I grew really, really nervous. I couldn't see anything anymore except that the grass seemed taller, and suddenly, a horn-like sound ruptured in my skull. It took me a while, swaying there, to comprehend that I'd been struck in the helmet with a baseball. Whoa! Proved all I could stammer. Although I was overjoyed that the sky lightened up, I felt okay again and began giggling. Next, I hobbled to my toes. The aura felt almost too perfect as the pitcher seemed to be floating in the air. I settled back at the batter's box, but through the side mirrors of my eye spyglasses, the umpire had a knife in his grip and was reaching forward to kill me. Upon shifting around, he proved to possess no knife at all. He granted me an evil stare underneath his mask and gawked at my hand. He kept muttering, Baba, again and again. I turned away, but again he displayed in the mirrors with a knife lunging to slaughter me. I faced back yet again, but he only hunched behind the catcher, looking at me, and then at my fist, and at me again. I squared to the pitcher one last time, and finally, another baseball hit me in the head. Luckily, this toss knocked me out. And that's about it. It's not my fault I don't play baseball no more. My date, Cindy, peered at me for a while from across the table. That was such a weird story. So, you aren't very good at baseball? I've never dated anybody that wasn't very good at baseball before, she stated. Her face, though very pleasant, turned bewildered and pinched up, as if what I told her came in the form of concentrated lemon juice before sucked through a straw. 
she became noticeably disturbed, but also rather glad I finished with my little nonsensical storytelling. No, I'm afraid I'm not very good at baseball at all. But it's not my fault. I had to be honest for once. It seemed that she would surge up from where we enjoyed a few drinks at the local bowling alley, waiting for the fake boxing match to start. She did not approve of what I told her. Was that all true? That's really creepy. I mean, did you actually put your friend's face on your Christmas star just because he didn't respond to your letter? Yep, pretty much all of it. It's strange, I know. I also have an interesting fishing story that I can tell you if you want to grab a cup of coffee. Her face was truly getting pale. What about those worms you brought up? Is that true? She urged, eyeing the half-empty glass of mojito next to my napkin. She had taste-tested it about 630 seconds ago. She was actually quite ugly now. I had a slight bit of a grin, but remained silent and glanced around the venue. Yep. Say... When's this fake boxing match starting anyway? This place is packed. It's like the whole town is here. When I heard no response, I realized she did it. She left. Where she fled and how she got home, I don't know. I didn't care. I started chuckling. It's not my fault we don't date no more. I guess this story has no moral to it. But one thing was for certain. If a date is really going nowhere nowhere at all, and she's being ridiculously flirty with other guys or lecturing about how cute George Clooney is, just mention something about worms. It could be anything. You'll have yourself the rest of the night freed up to do whatever you wish, like play some pool. It's not my fault I'm no good at billiards no more either, but I'll wait for my next pitiful date to justify why. The End this might be as close to the genre of romance as I get. A coach that is constantly in breakup mode and a date that ends for fear of gastrointestinal worms. My notes indicate that I let Andy read this story and he thought it seemed quite funny. My notes also indicated afterward he would go on with his day by looking at pictures of random normal people in magazines and laughing hysterically. And so, there required some apprehensions about the value of that critique. It's also worth noting that baseball is the only time where a run is better than a walk. It's not my fault I don't trust his opinion on what's funny no more.